Welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable. On this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming performers and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. This is the last episode of our second season. And even in our young two seasons doing this, we've compiled some truly nutritional insights into a life and a career in the arts. I'm grateful to all our guests for coming on and talking with me. I continue to be blessed with knowing many extraordinary artists who are working hard to make great things and to make things in a better way. I don't know how many seasons we're going to do of this podcast, but what I can say is we've already got an outstanding list of people we're considering reaching out to for a season three. In the meantime, I would highly recommend going back through any of the episodes you've missed and get yourself caught up. It's been another bumpy year. We got what felt like a few weeks of a summer here in Los Angeles before we returned to a lockdown situation, and necessary COVID procedures were creating new obstacles for the entertainment industry. On a personal note, we lost my mother-in-law this year, our wonderful Betty Basilevsky. We also moved our family into a new home. Doing this podcast has continued to be a saving grace in terms of having something else to focus my energy on. When I talk to you next, I'll be in my 40s. It'll be my birthday this December. The struggle for me with turning 40 is mostly about where I thought I was supposed to be in my career at this point. As I said in my interview with Jonathan Castellanos, I sometimes wish I'd done about twice the work in terms of my industry credits so far. But I've been lucky to work twice since starting this season of the pod, and I even got very close to booking a career-changing role in an upcoming studio film. That's been typical for me of late, getting very close. We call it being pinned or being on the boards. I recently watched a clip of Orson Welles talking about movie making was 2% making movies and 98% hustling. And that's certainly how I've felt, particularly over the last four years. But just like Welles said, the thing is that we're in love with our craft. This year will mark 29 years of me working as a professional actor, not always consecutively. I got my first two professional jobs when I was about 11 years old, a musical at a professional regional house, and my first national commercial. Despite the periods of waiting and the many disappointments along the way, I know two things. I love the arts, and I love making things with inspiring people. And mostly I feel gratitude. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be a father and a husband. I'm grateful to have worked this year as an actor. I'm grateful for my friends and my opportunities. And I'm continuing to try to put more gratitude back into the world. I feel more like a grown-up these days uh, more than ever, which has meant getting over some immaturity and learning to sort out the various voices in my head (laughs) that each have their place, (laughs) but to make sure that I'm being a little bit more deliberate about how I speak about things and how I can be helpful to others. And also trying my best to choose my battles in terms of what I need to worry about so I don't have to reach for that small bottle of Klonopin. I haven't had much time in the last two years to focus on the way I take care of myself. But one thing that I'm learning is that there's a peace that can come from giving myself breaks from things like social media and instead having more conversations directly with people. I certainly deal with anxiety and the depression that can come with that. I'm also aware that the arts industry can create the circumstances for the symptoms of mental health disorders by the nature of the up and down existence of it all. A phone call comes in with good news, a text message comes in with bad news, and on and on it goes. I love artists because what they're doing is taking an enormous risk 
with their livelihood and with their sense of self-worth. And they've got a great sense of adventure. And the folks who can do all that and have a good sense of humor along the way, I marvel at that. Still, I would bet that almost every single person I've interviewed feels like on some level that their career is not where they want it to be. And this is the thing that so many of us deal with. But if anything should give us pause from this pandemic, it should be that life expectancy has been called into question in a very serious way. So as many moments as I can put together where I can say, I'm okay right now. (laughs) That's what I strive for. As many moments as I can be present with my family and not be anxious, but just, just be with them. That's what I try to do. And to have gratitude. As I'm recording this, the FDA has just authorized a low-dose Pfizer vaccine for children age 5 and up. I'm grateful for that, (laughs) and I'm sure many other parents are right now. Let's hope this is, once and for all, the beginning of the end of this strange and scary period in history. You can follow me, your host, at Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handle on Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our email list and some brand new merch, including a quietly dignified Things Are Going Great For Me coffee mug. We've also got hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags, and even a Things Are Going Great For Me safety mask, folks. So check them out and listen in comfort, style, and good health. You can find all our products in our link tree on our show Instagram page, at Things Are Going Great For Me. On our link tree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from both our Season 1 and Season 2 guests, including our bonus Quarpod series, in which I ask guests about how they're adjusting to life in our seemingly endless quarantine and how it's changing life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen, so if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at patreon.com slash Things Are Going Great For Me. And we're thrilled to be sponsored for this series by Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial, natural spring water, sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, IcelandicGlacial.com, and a retailer near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show, leave us a nice comment, tell your aunt about us, give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. Hey, Apple Podcast peeps, we see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Stitcher fam, what's up, you freaky pocket casts, cats? Hey, Breaker brethren and sistren, salutations, radio public people. Hello, you overcast outroverts. Welcome to the party, Google Podcasters. Good day, Good Pods gang. Sprecancy Spreaker, anyone? We love you all equally. Unless we get bought by one of these companies, please let us get bought by one of these companies. We hope you love what you hear, and we want to keep bringing you new episodes of this show. Today's first guest is Shelly Bala. Shelly is an actor who starred as Krishna Dewan in the Peabody Award-winning and Emmy and Golden Globe-nominated series Jane the Virgin. Shelley talks about turning a small co-star role into a beloved character who recurred 29 times on the show. She also talks about playing the first gay woman of Indian descent on television, the often elusive pay bumps as a recurring guest star, and the systemic problems in terms of historical pay in Hollywood for Asian American performers and women of color. And she talks generously about her personal life, including dealing with the ongoing grief of losing her father 20 years ago and her volunteering with experience camps, in addition to her COVID elopement-style wedding in the midst of a pandemic. (laughs) 
It's a wonderful conversation. I'll be speaking with Shelley in a few minutes. Followed by a second interview with Noah Maxwell-Clark. Noah is an English and American actor who has recurred and guest starred on multiple British television series, including HBO's I May Destroy You, Britannia, Top Boy, and Hard Sun. He's also known for playing Osmond Bolot on the beloved landmark British TV series EastEnders. Noah is the nephew of actor Clark Peters, who I was lucky to interview last season, and Noah's dad, the actor and musician Dave Clark, is one of my father's very good friends. In fact, it was Father's Day when Noah and I finally got to meet in this interview. He talks about the vibe of the industry in London, his education at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, and getting to work with the legendary Carrie Fisher. And we chat about all things London, including favorite English candies and packets of crisps. Stick around for Noah's interview. You're not going to want to miss it. So Winston, um, one of the themes of this season has been talking about labor practices and proper remuneration for arts workers, whether it's living wages and safe and humane working conditions for crews, or sometimes in the case of performers, as Shelley and I talk about, seeking out the often elusive but more than appropriate pay bumps for roles that recur on multiple seasons of a hit TV show. Yeah. Last week, of course, there was the absolute worst kind of story. Um, Mm -hmm. An incredibly talented cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, was tragically killed by the accidental firing of a live round on the set of a Western Mm -hmm. film. Helena had been selected as one of the uh, one of American cinematographers rising stars of 2019. This, of course, is still an ongoing investigation, but reports from the L.A. Times are saying two crew members had previously raised concerns about set safety when a prop gun discharged twice after it was Mm -hmm. announced that the gun was, quote, cold. Additionally, hours before the tragic accident, a half dozen crew members uh, reportedly walked off the set to protest working conditions. And their complaints are along the lines of the countless IATSE stories that we've been reading that precipitated the union's current strike authorization. Long hours, long commutes, waiting for paychecks, standard safety protocols not being strictly followed, and rushing to make the production days. Yeah. Tragic. Tragic. You know, the one of the things that I was reading about was the 50-mile drive. Yeah, they were driving from Albuquerque to near Santa Fe, right? Which is a sizable drive, and I believe going up a mountain? I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure Santa Fe is up in the mountains. I did a job um, once uh, where I had to do that drive, too. And it's, you know, not that specific drive, but the 50-mile drive. And the thing, you know... The thing is, you know, and I, this has to do with like the way they zone mm-hmm. travel for yeah. production. And, you're, you know, the, the, I think we were shooting in Pomona. So mm-hmm. I was getting I was getting on the road and driving um, early, early in the morning or very late at night. Yeah. And there were a couple times at night and you're not getting so you're not getting put up at a hotel. And I do remember one night driving home after a. 14 hour or something like that. Maybe it was, maybe it was just 12 hours. Let's say it was just 12 hours, but still it was late at night by the time we were finished or probably early in the morning, um, driving home and you can't help, but want to get home, you know? So you're, yeah. you're driving those 50 miles. You're pushing it with the speed limit the whole time. Um, and when I read that, that was one of those things that I was like, yep, I know, I know exactly what that is. And, um, and then when it comes to this, you know, set safety stuff. I mean, it's terrifying. I, I, I don't think I haven't been on too many sets where or too many scenes where a prop gun is used. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you and I were talking a little bit about this last time. 
uh, or one of our previous episodes because you were doing a, a movie that was using a prop yeah. gun, but yeah, you we weren't definitely... firing anything. No, no, no. There was no, uh, I don't think I've ever been on a set that had an actual gun that could operate as a gun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really trying to think now. I'm even in like, we've done, we did a cop thing and even those were like, like cap guns, you know, like I think maybe I bought like a really silly, like, um, you know, like a pellet gun. And even then I think I plugged the barrel. Cause like, it's just like nothing like could not physically hold a bullet, you know, we don't need to be, um, we don't need to be doing yeah. this stuff anymore. And, you know, it was, I think, uh, it was actually one of the examples that people were citing was mayor of East town. Uh, mm-hmm. they used uh, CGI for any kind of, uh, firing guns and things like that. I didn't even notice watching mayor of East town. Yeah. It didn't occur to me that they were, I didn't think for two seconds, um, Hey, like they put in, they use computers for that. I didn't notice at all. Well, it's just kind of, um, from my perspective, the, uh, I can't think of a reason. Okay. So like using blanks is art. So I have some experience with guns. I grew up from Oklahoma. I'm like, yeah. I've never owned a gun, but I've shot one plenty of times. Uh, I don't understand. We make replica guns like because because if you don't know this like anytime anyone's carrying a gun in a thing that's not physically being shot they're using a plastic based like a rubbery soft version of that gun right it looks camera accurate but is not but why don't we have versions of them like like why is it possible that to have an open barrel like you can have a blank you can have you can have but then just use a different barrel that's closed i don't there's (laughs) No excuse for it. Like, there's really no excuse for it. I guess what they I don't understand it. I guess I they're they're trying to get the um, the appearance of a of an actual kickback of the weapon or but that, for but accuracy. Put a blank in, but put a blank in. Have a block. Well, see, barrel, that's part of the problem. Then, like they're, they're saying, part of the problem sometimes. Now this is a live yeah. round, but they're saying part of the problem sometimes yeah. is that the blank gets like you know bits of matter in it and can and those bits yeah. of matter oh, can be discharged they're still dangerous blank even a blank is still very dangerous you don't want to shoot one off like next to your head i'm just saying but we don't we don't there's just no i, I we agree. don't need I don't we don't need it anymore you know i just don't think there's any excuse for it yeah i think it's a super huge it's a tragedy it's awful it's not even the first time it's happened and it, i mean like don't get me wrong. There's some risk involved in all of this work. That's true. Like I've seen, you know, there is risk. Like if you're going on a soundstage, there's lights that hanging above you. There's like, there's a lot of stuff that happens. There's electricity and water. If you're shooting it in a, in the rain scene and there's all this mm-hmm. stuff happening. Yeah, that's true. Some of that risk you're just going to take. And that's, that's part of the game. It's part. It's but the unnecessary a gun risk. Yeah. Is not necessary. Right. It's just not necessary anymore. Even if I was in a scene where somebody was pointing a completely fake gun at me, it would still make, if it looked realistic, it would make me feel now, listen, like, you know, I don't need that kind of method work to, <laughs> for me to yeah, act. Yeah, you don't need to, you don't need to like see the, see the, no. the bullet at the end of the chamber to really get into it. Nah. Cause, cause at that point, um, that's not acting. Yeah. That's doing a dangerous thing and filming it. That's jackass basically. Yeah. And that's, I don't know if you're, those dudes are not nominated for Oscars because they're not pretending. <laughs> this is pretending that we do. That's right. So I don't, I don't like, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't buy into method acting for that reason. Cause, uh, this is silly. Make them up. So you should be able to make them up. We, we want to offer our condolences and our prayers to yeah, Helena Hutchinson's family during this incredibly difficult time. Uh, we'll also be making a donation to AFI's scholarship fund in honor of Helena, and we encourage folks to do the same. 
Um, and now, without further ado, here is the brilliant and talented Shelley Bala. Um, so, first of all, uh, you got married last year. Congratulations. Thank you. It was full on COVID elopement, bandit style craziness. Like, it was, yeah, it was insane. It looked like a, a beautiful, uh, very private, I guess, uh, ceremony in uh, Santa Barbara. Yes, it was. It was pretty wild because I'd spent close to a year planning a really big Indian three-day blended wedding. And it was in March, you know, right when the world like stopped. Fell apart, yeah. We're about three weeks out from our wedding. So it oh was, yeah, it was, it was bad. Like a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of planning had gone into doing this wedding that everyone was really excited about. We had guests that were going to be flying in from all over the world. Thank God. That oh my happen. gosh. <laughs> um, thank God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it was wild. And so along with the shock and the, you know, confusion about just processing what was happening in the world, we were also dealing with multiple wedding vendors and Oh my God. All of that. So it, it was a bit crazy. Uh, at the time, we pushed it to the fall of 2020, thinking that was a very conservative choice. Like, uh-huh. like oh yeah, this, <laughs> you know, we'll have the summer. We'll, we'll just do it in the fall. It'll be good. We really right. thought it was like the smart conservative choice. And I think by the time we hit May, we realized that definitely wasn't happening. <laughs> my my family is close to DC. Uh, my husband's family is mostly in Portland. And there was no way we were going to have people getting on planes. Yeah. Just immediate family. So um, we realized we're like, we still want to get married. We still wanted that. We still wanted that. And it doesn't mean for, I think for some people, they don't really care about marriage or they don't care about weddings. Mm-hmm. We both really cared about both. <laughs> both <of the> same. <laughs> and so we were like, we still want to do it. Um, our moms were freaking out, like, especially mine. Like, can you just go to the courthouse and and, and make it official? And the courthouses in LA County were all closed. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's right. Know. Yeah. Because yeah. I think, I think oddly enough, I think I got like a summons for jury duty during the pandemic. And I think my wife did too. And we were we called and we're like, do we have to do that? And they were like, just call the number every morning and then it will tell you, you don't have to come in. (laughs) So yeah, all the courthouses were closed. Yeah. They were all closed. And so we couldn't even get a marriage license, but through, yeah, through the power of uh, social media, I found out that there was a woman who had purchased many marriage licenses before the pandemic and was then notarizing them in her backyard. Holy shit. Yeah. So we drove to like this place deep in the valley about an hour out. <laughs> it's always it's spot. always deep in the valley. Always. always. And went to this woman's lovely home and sat in her backyard six feet apart and she notarized our marriage license. And so we knew we had the license and wow. her advice to us was do it fast uh, because right now, there's a couple of other counties that have courthouses that are open, but it's changing day by day. And, you know, if you, even if you have an appointment uh, the day of, it could be canceled. Like it was just such, 
a crazy time. Yeah. So at that point, it was, we had a week and a half. So it went from pl- taking a year to plan a big wedding to a week and a half to planning <laughs> a COVID elopement. And I was able to get an appointment, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon, very ideal time, um, <laughs> Santa Barbara courthouse, which I thought was at least beautiful. I was, it it was is. Like a be- beautiful grounds and yeah. property. Yeah. The COVID setup, not so beautiful, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, at least it's, we love Santa Barbara. It's, it's scenic. It's beautiful. Um, so we'll go there. I mean, I ordered an outfit off the internet, was not able to get it tailored or anything because of, because of COVID. And oh my gosh, we had been, we'd been calling the courthouse every day to see if it would still be open. And we made the call to let our families know the day of, because we didn't want there to be that buildup of excitement and then have to let them down and be like, actually, no, the courthouse closed. Everyone was still reeling. From oh, the I got it. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was just a wild day. The morning of calling family members being like, we're getting married. Like everyone just being like, what? Um, but everyone being so happy that we could do it. And we weren't allowed to film it. We weren't allowed. Um, really? Yeah. They wouldn't. What does that, what does that mean? So they said on the grounds of the courthouse, you're not allowed to film any of this. Yes. And you know, the, the Santa wow. courthouse has like stunning grounds, absolutely beautiful, but yet for the COVID weddings, they set up a weird like tent that they must have bought for like $10 at Home Depot, like by the road. And we sat across from a man, um, a judge in a, an American flag mask that felt a little aggressive. Um, uh-huh, yeah. and he, there was a clear, like uh, a clear shower curtain in between us, even though we were outdoors. Oh my God. <laughs> we were not allowed to take our masks off. Uh, we were allowed to bring one witness. We brought a photographer so we would have some photos. Yeah. And it was the most bizarre thing. We were cracking up the entire time. My husband kept looking at me and was like, is this what you've been dreaming about? Oh my gosh. And I mean, we were just in hysterics the whole time. It was so funny, but you know, we wanted to get married. We wanted to do the thing. So now we're coming up on almost a year. And the joke is that we still haven't had a wedding, but Hopefully we're, we're aiming for 2022. We'll see, we'll, we'll see if the world cooperates. Um, I want that for you both. I think that, um, yeah. although I love your story, like what an amazing story. Did you, are you, did you get a chance to go on some kind of a honeymoon? We did like a mini moon in Santa Barbara. So after we, after we locked it down at the courthouse, we went to like a lovely hotel uh, there and stayed for three days. And then you know, when we got back to the hotel, we had a Zoom planned with uh, my family and his family. And it was really sweet. They all wore like the Indian outfits that they were going to wear to the wedding on the Zoom. And everyone nice. said it was it was very bittersweet. You know, I think that yeah. we still want the party with our family and friends. Um, it just is not the same. But, you know, it, it we, we made the best of it. Were you, you able to get your money back from those vendors? Nope. Oh God, that's our, our money is still in wedding purgatory. So that's another reason we're like, we're having this party because <laughs> nope. a lot of couples just, uh, unfortunately we're like, we're just going to say goodbye to all the money we've already put down in deposits and wow. just move on. But we, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that person. I'm like, I'm still having this party, even if it's like, I, I don't know, even if it's five years from now, I'm having it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I think that during the pandemic, there were a lot of articles that I feel like 
were writing about like other oh, all these divorces happening and things like that during this period but i've known more than a few couples that decided to tie the knot it sounds like you both were this was happening before the, yeah. everything started so um uh so i guess that that didn't really enter into your decision too much uh, uh, just that you had to change everything um yeah, I think, you know, w- there had been talk about getting married on our original wedding date, but at that point, like, it was still really scary. I was still, like, sanitizing our mail. <laughs> you know, we just didn't know yeah. what was going on. So it just, we were like, that's not going to happen. We don't, e- we're not even leaving the house. And and then it was just a matter of how are we going to do this? We We knew we wanted to do it. There was never any question of do we not get married? It, it's something that's meaningful to me. It's something that's meaningful to him. Um, it's very meaningful to my Indian mother who'd been waiting for that to happen for about 15 years. <laughs> so um, it, it, it was going to get done. It was just, how are we going to do it uh, in a way that still feels good to us? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations. I I wanted to, so you, you of course, you have done uh four seasons and 29 episodes of the Peabody award-winning and Emmy and Golden Globe nominated Jane the Virgin playing Petra Solano's assistant Krishna Dewan. Congratulations on that accomplishment. Um, that's a, that is a huge break. And, um, but I had, a, does it become a Golden Globe winning show when Gina Rodriguez wins her Golden Globe for best I- actress? Yeah, I don't know how that works. Cause I don't think we were ever nominated as a show. I think Gina just won individually. So I, think, I, don't, I don't know how that works. The show may have been nominated. I, I have to double I check. I don't think it was. It wasn't. Okay. Yeah. I'm so. like, I think it was. You're like, I was on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, uh, so yours was a landmark casting um, in that you played one of the very first characters on television who was a gay woman of Indian descent. Do I have that correct? That's correct. And it was incredibly exciting. Do you did you know this aspect of the character when you first joined the show in the second season? I did not. And I don't think the writers knew, to be honest, as well, um, because. As as my role grew on the show, I would hear more from our creator, Jenny Ehrman, who's phenomenal, and some of the writers as I got to know them. And I think that um, it was one of those that that audition for me and that casting for me was a great testament because I've been doing this for a long time and it was a great testament for me about like the you know they always say there's no small parts mm-hmm. um yeah. it was a small part you know and at my first day I had one line and it was yeah. with Gina and it was a really funny scene and we we were laughing we had a great time and I remember at the end of it um the writer of the episode said, that's how you turn one line into something special. We can't wait to have you back. And it was what I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, I just thought this was a one day thing. Cool. Like I was super excited. Oh, amazing. And, and I think they saw a chemistry then with me and Yael who played Petra. Right. And I think it just grew from there. They they told me that um, it was never really intended to be more than just an assistant. We saw one or two times. Wow. That's so, yeah, huge. Exciting. And and I think says a lot about that cast and crew that when they saw something that they liked or someone that they liked working with, they really nurtured it. And really yeah, liked it. yeah. 29 episodes is, is that's amazing. I mean, and I think that like to, to, to go from 
one or two to that is I, I don't hear that that often, but I do think that what a lot of people who aren't in entertainment don't realize is that oftentimes like when you when a new recurring character comes onto a show, they might think like, oh, well, they were always meant to do that many episodes. But in 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 reality, oftentimes um, it's happened to me as well, where it's like you do an episode and then somebody tells you either while you're there. Or you get a phone call later from someone saying like, you were great on the show. We can't, like you said, we can't wait to have you back. And, um, but to do 29, that's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It was just as much as a surprise. It was a genuine surprise for me. I thought, um, I thought there was a possibility to recur because she was someone that like worked in the office and a lot of that show took place at work. Yeah. But, um, I, I didn't think it could go beyond, you know, maybe one or two episodes. So it was a really pleasant, happy surprise. And then you did all the rest of the seasons? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Did they pay you more as you kept coming back? Or did they do that thing of being like, we want to put Shelly on a veil for one more little episode? Like, is how did that go? I did not get paid more. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad you asked this because yeah. I think it's something that, um, when I've talked to some friends and people I know, they just assumed that I did get paid more. Right. I did not. No. Yeah, that has happened to me as well, where it's like, and I also, I know a friend who does, uh, he is one of the players on like a big commercial campaign where mm -hmm. the spokesperson is a millionaire. And uh, he pops in on almost every one of the spots for this major, major brand. And um, it's the same deal. Like they don't pay him more. They just say like, oh, good news for you. You know, like you yeah. get to be on the show for one more or you get to do one more commercial, which look, all commercials pay much better than doing an episode of television, <laughs> which I don't think people know as well. Um, but uh, but you should have been paid more. Every single season, you should have been paid more. I should have. And it's interesting looking back at it now. Um, at one point, we did ask. Uh, I think it was maybe in season four. And my my role had grown a lot. Like there was certain stories that were tied to my character. So it could they couldn't have yeah. been done without my character. And, um, and plot twists that like my character was at the center of. Right. And, and at that point it felt, I felt like it was an appropriate time to ask and it, it was turned down. Um, and I was warned that it would likely be turned down. Um, it's so funny because you, be, you became a fan favorite. Right? I know I, I didn't get paid anymore. And it's honestly yeah. it's something I think about a lot because I was speaking to, um, I was speaking to an actress. She has a podcast as well. And she was telling me, she was like, and she, she's a white woman, but she was like, you know, you're in that group of people who kind of gets, can I curse on here? Yeah, definitely you can. Okay, okay. But she was like, you're in that group of people who gets uh, fucked over financially the most, which is like Asian American actors. And I don't know, I ah. haven't the statistics, so I don't know if that is exactly correct, but I know we get fucked over. So I can, I can say that's correct. And yeah. You know what's wild? I didn't even go there until I heard that. And um, it says a lot about, you know, I think in the last year too, we've been, we've been home, we've been reflecting. And I think I, I've thought about a lot of the ways that I've also been brainwashed to think that like, if I just show up and do my job and work my hardest, like I, 
it's all, it all falls on me. It all falls mm -hmm. on how I showed up or didn't show up. And I, and I made me kind of open my eyes to be like, oh, this is part of a bigger systemic issue that, you know, women of color, women in certain groups just yeah. paid less. And yeah. It, yeah, it was like, it's been a bit of a wake up call for me. I'm embarrassed to say um, that it, I didn't really clock it in, in a way that I should have until more recently. Um, and I, and I do feel so grateful for that experience and I wouldn't, wouldn't take, I wouldn't change it, but, um, but it is something I reflect on and think about, like, should I have been more firm in, mm -hmm. you know, my requests and, and what I was asking for and what I was asking for was very fair and reasonable. It wasn't anything outlandish. Um, so yeah, I, I think about that a lot and I don't, and I actually don't know what the right answer is. Cause I wouldn't have wanted to lose. I didn't, I didn't want to lose the job. Yeah, right. Yeah. We no, we don't. Yeah. Well, and I think historically actors generally are in this position of being on our uh, hind legs all the time, right. just without a lot of agency. We are that, and we've talked about this issue on this show with uh, uh, I have with many folks, and it's very hard. I think um, when you're creative one of the on in, in creative to sort of speak like your like this say this is what I this is my worth right you know as an artist and I compounded more uh by being in subgroups that you're talking about it, it, it I I it it's it feels um like you have very little agency in your own career yeah it's definitely something that I feel like I've been navigating for years and I'm still navigating to be honest, but yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely right. Um, was it ever nerve wracking to be one of the first to do something in television? That's a great question. I don't, I don't know that I necessarily was looking at it that way. I think, um, I think I felt very confident in the writers, the writers on Jane were exceptional. And, and I felt like they were, they really represented a lot of different groups. And so I had full faith in that. I wasn't worried about, you know, what they were going to do with the character, which I think is a huge relief. Yeah. I wasn't worried that this was going to, it was going to go in a direction that I personally would not support. So um, there was a lot of relief in that. And, and I think, I, I don't think I gave it that much thought, to be honest, because I think I probably would have had a lot of nerves if I had thought about it that way. I think I was just really focused on, you know, just showing up with like my all because it wasn't, I wouldn't, you know, in later seasons, I had more like to play with, but in the earlier seasons, it was often just like a quick scene or two. And it was just like, what can I do to like bring life to this and, and enjoy it and have fun. And, and luckily like, that cast and crew were just like a pretty magical group of people where it felt like theater a lot of the time where like you were, even though it was, it was very. Um, well, it does because it's, I guess, because it's comedy, right? Yeah. And it was you're a perf novella, you're performing. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 like, because it was based on a telenovela and it had this like grandeur to it, there was a lot of uh, play with it, which was for me, like, I just had never had that experience on a set where I, we would, we would do the take exactly how we were supposed to. And then we would maybe do two or three where we would just kind of play around. And we never improved with, with the script, but we would improv with our behavior and, you know, other things. Mm. And that was just so fun. It was a, and a really unique experience for me. 
So you have worked steadily ever since with great guest stars and recurring arcs on series. Um, how was auditioning going before uh, landing Jane the Virgin? Before Jane the Virgin. So it's interesting that you say that because I actually took a three-year break um, where I completely stopped away from acting. Um, Since I've known you? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I. it was before Jane. Um, so I think I booked, I booked Jane about a year after I came back to acting. But I, did, I took a three-year break where I had what I call like in quotes, like real people jobs. Um, and yeah. I- and I've never had that experience. You know, I went straight from, I did my undergrad and then I went straight to Stella Adler in New York. And I right. was, then went into auditioning and, you know, trying to work as a professional actor. And I hit a point um, being in LA for a few years where I just was not getting like the validation and like, I just like my, my, I just needed more. I needed some more stability. I needed, yeah. uh, to know I could do other things. And so I, I completely stepped away for three years and it was really an interesting time because I was like, oh, in, in this world, when I work hard, I get raises and I get praised. <laughs> you know, there, there's direct correlation between my hard work and- Yeah, and the- contributions yeah. to a 401k. Yeah, <laughs> like it was, it, it was good for me to do. Um, and I think my, like I needed it for my confidence, but- I remember then just feeling so empty and I really just, I missed it. I just missed it. And then I knew it was time to come back. So, you know, I saved up um, a bit of money to have a little bit of a cushion to, you know, not work full time. And I kind of threw myself back in and it was, it was the following year that I booked Jane. Could I ask, that's amazing. Can I ask you though, how, what was that process? What were your steps? Did you like you, so you had this little bit of money saved. You went, got some new headshots. You yeah. put together a real, how, what were your steps? Yes. So at that time, um, I got some new headshots cause it had been a while and I, I had a little bit of money saved, but I still needed a job. Um, a day job. I still needed a, like a survival gig. Type right. Of and so at that time, I started assisting, um, I started assisting someone. And this is mm. also to say like day jobs might give you insight for characters. Because <laughs> by the time I uh, auditioned for Jane the Virgin, I had had a lot of experience, <laughs> as a very stressed out assistant. So I was like, I know that world. <laughs> I, did know, you, I know that life. Did you, um, were you assisting someone in the business? No, I was assisting someone that I actually knew personally and who's like an amazing person, but like, she's, you know, like out of her mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> like she's a person. so I was, I was assisting her. And then during that time, she's super successful in the world that she's in. Yeah. Um, and during that time, she was having all of these press requests and interviews and she just did not have the time to do everything. So I started writing the answers to her interviews and because I knew her so well, and she had like a very unique personality and voice. Um, it was kind of like acting in a way. I was like, okay, I can answer this as her. And so I would, you know, do her written interviews. I would, any, any writing requests I started taking care of. And then I kind of parlayed that into copywriting for her and her company. Yeah. And that became a really good survival job. Uh, for an actor. I've had a lot of weird jobs, but, but copywriting, I, I highly recommend. So I was doing that. Um, 
So I was doing, I was doing copywriting part-time um, and I was putting together a reel. I got introduced to an agent by a friend who's a manager. And um, it was a lovely, it was like a smaller agency, um, a lovely, lovely woman. And they, they took me on and I started auditioning that year. So it was, and it was, it felt very different going back into it after having three years of being completely disconnected. Yeah. I had more confidence. I think that I, I just need to yeah. know, like I can do other things in this world. I can go to other jobs and actually get paid a lot of money if I want to do that. And I think I just needed to know that for myself. So while some people are like, okay, this is insane. You're now getting back into this business. You're over 30. Um, it was... Mm. It was actually like an, ex I'm, I've always been a late bloomer and have not really followed things like when you're supposed to. So in some ways, I think it gave me a little boost that I kind of needed. And and then I started, and I actually started booking after that yeah, time. Yeah, that's awesome. Do, so you talked a little bit about going to Stella Adler, but previous to that, you did go to college. I did. Yeah. I where, went to, where was that? And what were you studying? I went to the University of Maryland, College Park. Yeah. Uh, state school. And I was all over the place. College was like a really strange time for me for a lot of reasons. But I, you know, so when I was in high school, I was kind of like that. I, I would say that I'm like, I was like the brown Tracy flick. I was like the school president, great grades, and super motivated, and focused, just huge nerd. <laughs> yeah. And, and loved it. Like it was just like a love school. <laughs> I loved studying. It's fully Tracy flick. Um, and then, you know, my dad got very sick when I was yeah. in your year of, right. of high school and that really just priorities changed. So then it was like, I knew I wanted to be close by. Um, I, I got a nice scholarship from the university of Maryland. And so that made it also a lot easier as well. Yeah. And, um, and then my dad and I, so I, I did, I lived on campus my first year and, but was going home constantly because of, you know, my dad's health. Right. And he, he passed away after my freshman year of college. Right. And I ended up moving home, um, which to like my friends at school who are, you know, mostly non-Indian, they were like, we don't understand, like, why are you leaving? But I think all of my friends who are of a similar culture understood. I was like, I have to be here, like for my mom and my brother. Yeah. Um, and so like my college experience was very like it wasn't parties and frats and sororities and that type of thing. It was just like very focused on my family, um, very deep in grief. And, yeah. I, and in terms of academically, I was all over the place. Like I went from someone who loved school and thrived in school to someone who was really struggling yeah. and bouncing around from major to major. I finally ended up in government and politics, but it was just because I, I needed to get out of there and finish. Yeah. But, it yeah, yeah I and mean, uh, you did some um, some you do some editorial writing, um, and in particular, you did you wrote a, a, a beautiful tribute to your late father. Um, reading it, that's really nice. Yeah, it, it, well, um, you know, my uh, my mother in law passed away this year, and um, so yeah, it's 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 it is a uh, it was a. Uh, very beneficial read and I also I sent it to to, to Kath as well to take a look at and um, are you comfortable if we talk about the piece absolutely. that you wrote absolutely um first of all I'm sorry for your loss and uh you know I'm sorry I for you as well I, I saw that online and I just was like my heart was like hurting for you guys when I saw that 
You know, it's a process that that lasts a, a long time. And you wrote about that and you you wrote about um, you wrote about grief, as you talked about, and also sort of one's own cultural community and how it how a community recognizes the passing of somebody and what what's sometimes lacking in terms of ongoing support for a substantial loss like this. Right. Um, you talked about sitting with grief, the importance of therapy and meditation and things like making gratitude lists. Um, uh, I want, I, well, I want to recommend the article right now to anyone who's going through a similar experience. You can find Shelley's article on modernloss.com. Um, it seems like these are all good things for people to be doing maybe generally. Yeah, yeah they are. Cause I think, and I think this last year and a half has really showed us like we're all, everyone's grieving something. Uh, a lot yeah, of people are grieving yeah. the loss of family members. That's right. A lot of people are grieving, you know, some people lost their livelihood. Some people lost right. dreams that they, you know, wanted to see. Like, I feel like there's just so much collective grief. And I think it's um, a topic that I know that when I, I lost my dad 20 years ago, you know, no one was talking about this. Like, it was just not how, how to deal how to deal with it how to deal with it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I started an internship two weeks after my dad died. Like that's Oof. like where we were at, you know, wow. like I, it was just like, let's just keep going. Let, I was just focused on moving forward. I was focused on my brother and like doing his college applications, kind of making sure he was all set. Oh it my God. Wow. Go, go. And with no time. And I was praised for it. Like, which is wild. I was like, everyone was like, look at how great Shelly is doing. Mm. And I was a mess you know, and, and it, and it catches up with you. And I, and I, and I just, I encourage people to sit with grief because it will catch up with you. It does. It may take a year. It may take several years. It can show up in so many different ways. It can show up as self-sabotage. I'm lucky it never showed up in like addiction, but it can do mm. that for a lot of people. I, I yeah. think I'm lucky in that way, but I parts like I, there was a lot of destructive uh, things that I did do that I think, uh, looking back was just unresolved grief that had nowhere to go. So yeah, I do think was there some, some sort of acting out of some sort of some kind? Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I went from being someone who loved school and was really into academics to barely passing my classes in college. Um, I, I think I was very, there was a lot of self-sabotage that I, that I brought into my life. There was like a lot of opportunities that were squandered. Um, I was a nightmare in relationships. Like God bless anyone I dated in my early twenties. <laughs> I, I send you prayers and blessings. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, there, it was just, I was, I was really difficult to be around. And then I think as well, like I was not, I, I don't think I was a good friend. I don't think I showed up for people the way I would show up for someone now. Like I just, I don't look at that time and feel proud of the person I was. I forget, yeah. I forget it. Like I was, I was really struggling, but yeah. I think that if I'd had um, some tools and resources, I don't, I think I still, it would have been incredibly difficult, but I just think it might've been a little smoother and yeah. a little uh, more mindful maybe. Yeah, absolutely. You, one thing you wrote about uh, another thing that you wrote about, which I thought was interesting is that um you said acting gave you the permission to step back into your body and, re and yeah. remains a place where your, your heightened sensitivity is an asset. Um, I got a question for you though, about this. Mm -hmm. Do you find acting to be therapy in and of itself? I, I do not. 
Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, going to acting school uh, in New York was yeah. such, and I don't, I don't, because I think you, you grew up pretty close to New York, right? Well, I grew up, I moved a bit. I actually lived in Santa Barbara for a little bit, but before that, I was, the majority of my youth, I was in Massachusetts. I was in I was in Santa Barbara for junior high and then we were in the UK for my high school and then in New York for college. Yes, yeah, so so I became like, a city kid. Yeah, you, I was going to say it sounds I, I've always thought of you as someone who's like grown up in big cities and have had like you had that exposure and I grew up really close to DC and spent a lot of time there. But it's New York like knocked my socks off in every way. So Completely. To, yeah, to be in New York to be in acting school and actually that, that was very therapeutic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't have to like hide these things about myself. I can actually like put them towards something. Right. I think that was very therapeutic. Um, but no, I don't look at acting as therapy at all. Yeah. And I think that that's something that uh, I don't think a lot of people may realize that like you can go into a scene and you can feel your feelings, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to fix your problems. I completely agree. Um, if you get a cathartic experience out of it, then then good for you. And that's great, you know, but, um, and also when it comes to things like if you're doing a role that involves like a certain kind of trauma and it is a trauma that you have lived yourself, uh, you know, it not, it might not be the best idea to go method mm-hmm. in there and, 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 and use all of your actual trauma to sort of, figure it out. And, you know, Stella Adler very famously um, uh, was looking for another answer during a period of time in her life when she was experiencing grief. And when she was she became that only American practitioner to study with Stanislavski, who had changed his whole approach at that point, he was like, it's not about you yeah. or your feelings. It's about yeah. the character, right? So I like the Adler approach. Um, I always have because it just gives you another another option to to. I'm with you. It's still my home base, and it's I, and I love that yeah. it's it's a it's serving something larger than you. Right. I yeah. think like the world I live in is pretty small, like and it's pretty limited, you know, in a lot of ways. And I think when you're serving a story, and the the time that it was written in, the place that it took place in you know, just the world of it, it just becomes so much bigger. And that for me is exciting and interesting. And I want to learn about that. And so I feel like that's just has so much more to offer than just what I, Shelly, have experienced in this life. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't that, that is part of the fun, I think for, at least for me, is that anytime you get an opportunity to play a character that yeah, it really isn't like you and, and you get to use your imagination to, to, to make a bunch of choices. Um, so I do, there was a funny story about your audition for Stella Adler or your interview. I don't know if it was an audition, but you, you, you wrote that you showed up in a full suit. It's so embarrassing. And then there were kids rolling around in sweatpants in in the studios. It was like, it was probably you. Um, (laughs) Probably. So embarrassing. I was, uh, it was my spring break um, before I was finishing college and I went up to New York and I, I slept on my friend's sister's couch. I remember. And um, I just thought I'm going to like, and, and I only knew about Stella Adler because I had one professor at the university of Maryland who's in the theater department that I really liked. Yeah. I, I didn't have a great experience when I dabbled in the theater department there, but there was this one professor who I really liked. And I felt like she saw something in me because at one point she told me to read the art of acting by Stella Adler. 
Cool. And I, yeah. And I read it and I loved it. And yeah. so that was the only school I knew about. And I, I mean, I just was so disconnected from all of that, this, that entire world. I didn't know anyone who ever went into acting or into anything that was unconventional. So um, read the book, contacted Stella Adler, saw that they were doing like a summer intensive and thought, okay, I'm gonna like go in and interview for this. And at that point in my life, I'd interviewed at Solomon Smith Barney, I'd interviewed in like these business <laughs> type Very different, so, very different vibe. Yeah. And so I wore, you know, I was like, I should look professional. So I like go in in my like little like college suit and walk in. And I was, I felt like I was at the zoo. Like there was actors literally rolling <laughs> around, um, making sounds. And I was just like, where am I? And I was so embarrassed when I had like my little interview and yeah, but I, I was just like, I want to be part of this. This is so wild. And I remember my, it was like my first and second day. Um, as part of the summer intensive where I was like, this is, this is where I'm going to be. Like, I just, it was like a, yeah. feel, like a gut feeling of like this weird, the, all these weirdos and doing all this crazy stuff. Like this makes sense to me. And I, I want to stay here. And then after that, I auditioned for the conservatory, but you know, I'd already finished college. I was a bit older than a lot of people, but I, you know, like I said, I'm a late bloomer. So yeah. Right. And I'm sure all of that life uh, additional ex life experience. Like it just, uh... the, the interesting thing is that like, you can have a certain amount of life experience that can inform your work. Um, but having confidence is a separate issue is something that I've found. Absolutely. Like you can regrow being shy at any age, which, you know, is always like a good reason to, 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 to sort of be stay training and things like that, just to make sure that you're like, elastic with your right with your choices yeah. um so and you are an avid reader I understand as well I try to be I try to be I have like the pandemic challenged that weirdly enough you'd think that I would have been reading more with oh yeah yeah time. no I, I wasn't but um I typically like to do like a book a week but um it, it doesn't always happen <laughs> okay <laughs> that's much better than me I mean I I, I feel like full life like you've you've kids as well like you've got a lot going on yes I do yeah I've, I find myself I'm able to scroll Twitter and read some articles but my attention span has been and destroyed by the internet and my kids are you are you pretty good with the the phone addiction issue I'm, I'm totally addicted to it I do, <laughs> I do keep it far away from me when I sleep that helps a little bit for like to not look at it first thing in the morning but I'm, I'm completely addicted to it it's horrible <laughs> do you have any any tactics that work I sometimes will just physically put it put the away. phone away yeah, yeah. and then, like I'll, I'll have my computer in one area and then I'll put the phone in another room and I'm like you know what like I will hear it if it rings like I will be okay <laughs> so I, ha I have to physically move it away from me to not have the temptation to just look at it all the time or I'll sign out of certain apps that I often go to and so the thought of like like I'll sign out of Instagram and so when I open Instagram, it would require signing. It prompts back. you to sign in. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Going on yeah. Instagram is, yeah, it's a, it, I don't know how often it's going to make you feel good. Um, and Twitter is a whole other story. Um, beg pardon? <laughs> Twitter just scares me. I feel like scary stuff goes down on Twitter. Twitter is becoming, or maybe has always been, um, I feel like once like 
they kicked off the, the former president. Uh, <laughs> it was a little like it was a little calm for maybe a day before then, it was like back to the same bullshit. <laughs> um, somebody else is like, I'm the biggest asshole now. Um, so uh, you also did some uh, volunteering with a wonderful organization called Experience Camps, um, which is- com- bringing them up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's completely free for kids who've lost a parent, sibling, or primary caregiver. Um, and I just wanted to say, well, I'll say this first and then I'd love to hear your, uh, about your work there. But folks, you can go to experiencecamps.org to volunteer or to donate. So this is a, it's a once a week uh, sleep away camp. Or no, it's a one week sleep away camp. Exactly. Yeah, it's a one week sleep away camp. And thank you so much for knowing about it and bringing it up. It's really thoughtful of you and much appreciated. Um, I've been working with them for a few years. I'm actually gearing up to go in a couple of weeks. Um, we are still able to have it this year with very strict COVID regulations. But yeah, um, yeah. but basically it's it's a one week camp and it's in various uh, cities in the US. And it's for kids, like you said, who've lost like a parent or a sibling or a primary caregiver. And I think, you know, one of the things that I found when I lost a a parent as a teenager is that it was incredibly isolating because none of my peers knew what it was like. And um, it's only now at this age that like my peers are also now starting to go through this unfortunate phase of life where you lose a parent. And so it was just so isolating and lonely. And I think for these kids, it's it's incredible to have a place for where one week they're not the kid at school with the dead mom or the, you know, the kid whose brother died. Like they, everyone who's around them gets it. Yeah. And they have um, the freedom to talk about it if they want to, and but they also don't have to. So we have clinical, um, we have clinicians for assigned to each bunk. Mm. And so there's every day, there's like a period where they work with the clinician and they do, they learn incredible things. They learn breath work, they learn mm. um, anger management tools, but then the rest of the time it's kid stuff. Like there's archery, you know, there's swim time. It's just being a normal kid, which unfortunately a lot of these kids don't have the chance to do. And yeah. I mean, I know too, when, when I lost my dad, you kind of not, it, does, it doesn't happen to everyone, but I kind of became like the second mom of the house. And I stepped into some very adult roles at a very young age. And a lot yeah. of these kids are doing the same. You know, they're, they're stepping in and like watching their younger siblings or, or tending to the emotional needs of a parent who's grieving. And it's just important for these kids to have a chance to be kids. And yeah. so it's, it's been really incredible going. I've been going since 2017 and being involved with them. And seeing how the kids grow and blossom and just watch, like even just watching their confidence from the beginning of the week to the end of the week. And so many of the campers choose to come back year after year. A lot of them have become volunteers and there's like a CIT program for them. So it's a community that people generally stick with because it's very giving and understanding and loving. Um, It's run with a lot of integrity. It's yeah, I can't I can't say enough about it, but um, I am I'm going back this year and it will look a little different like all of our our entire volunteer staff is vaccinated. 
Um, the kids and us will all be COVID testing before we get to camp. We'll be yeah. COVID testing when we're at camp. You know, we'll, there'll be masks in place. There'll be a lot of regulations, but we're just trying our best to make it work and to still, because we had to cancel it last year and it was right. virtual last year. Yeah. We're just trying to still make it special. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for doing this. Um, yes, it's really good talking to you. Yeah, it, well, I, I miss you. I mean, I haven't seen you and it's been, yeah, you're a brilliant actor and uh, you're a wonderful and insightful person. Um, and you were really kind to reach out, by the way, when I was doing this podcast, just to say congrats. Thank you for that. I, I listened to your whole first season, just like, you know, driving around LA and I loved it. And oh, that's so great. It was, it was great. There was such good interviews. I really loved it. Thank you. Well, I'm thrilled for your success, both in career and life. And I wish you the best. Thank you, Claude. Thanks, Shelly. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Shelly Bala. A big thank you again to Shelly for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, Chantal Tui, Patrick Adams, Christine Woods, Kevin Avery, Jim O'Hare, Joe Tippett, Noah Maxwell-Clark, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And you can check out our link tree to get some of our merch. Our link tree is on our Instagram page at things are going great for me. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Noah Maxwell-Clark. He talks about his Meisner training at the Royal Central School, UK casting directors, his work on I May Destroy You, and having his scene cut from Hobbs and Shaw. He also talks about growing up in a talented family of exceptional artists. And we chat about our dad's friendship. Here now is the multi-talented and thoughtful Noah Maxwell Clark. You know what's so funny is I had a dream the other night uh of being in a like a tuck shop of some kind and buying a pack of mac vitis which like i hadn't i haven't had in yeah. years. <laughs> the the famous mcvitties biscuits yeah totally they we hit have, the spot the they always do and they're famous you know i think uh there's always a bit of a, a, a battle between what's england's you know best biscuit and a, a mcvitties digestive is always it's it's, it's uh, consistent you know it's consistently up there it is, yeah. You know, um, I there. It took me a while to get used to the different kind of uh, chocolate over there. There are some people really love the Cadburys, you know, mm, but yeah. it's, a, well, the, it's a it's a slightly different flavor than like you know, uh, I don't know, American Hershey or whatever, right? Yeah, no, you're, it's, it's funny you say that because um, I have I had a friend of mine who set up a, a an American candy business and. Uh, one of the good things about having a friend who sells American candy is you get to be the market research. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, one thing that I encountered, though, was that um, European chocolate in comparison to American chocolate is miles apart. Miles, yeah. miles, miles apart. I find yeah. that in Ameri in the US, you're, you do better with your candy, so what I would call your sweets, um, <laughs> your crisps, 
your, your crisps that you would call potato oh, chips. We got that down to a science. Oh, you have that down <laughs> to a science. And, um, and, but, but the one you don't have down to a T, I think, is, uh, is chocolate. Because where we're in Europe, you know, Cadbury's England is right next to Switzerland. And I think that's the mecca of sort of chocolate making and, right. you know, the history of it and stuff. So we're quite blessed over here to have, have really good chocolate. I typically go for a, a galaxy bar, it's called, yeah. instead of a Cadbury's chocolate bar. That's what yeah, I would do. Yeah, yeah. I'd hit a lion bar every once in a while if I was feeling, <laughs> yeah. feeling frisky. Lion. <laughs> oh, I love a lion bar. And we've got some other good ones, you know. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very English as well as American, but I'm very English yeah. in the sense that I love a good old Kit Kat. Yeah, Kit Kat is classic. Classic, and sometimes you can't go wrong with the classic, you know. Now, are you doing the prawn, (laughs) the prawn crisps? Because I stayed far away from those always. Oh wow! See, as a child, I loved, I loved the alternate flavors. So where you typically had, you know, uh, salt and vinegar, cheese and onion, and ready salted. I was more the the barbecue, the prawn cocktail, and the Worcester sauce. So really, I was. Oh. I, yeah, <laughs> I do. I am. I am. I am. I am. I do like a prawn cocktail flavor crisp. What are. kind of a? But I don't get it. Do they not? Do they not do that in the states? Is that not something big over there? No, no. We skipped out on the. You know what has caught on here is salt and vinegar, mm. which is fantastic because that was my that was my that was one of my favorite tastes that came out of my time in the UK with salt and vinegar. Do you know how hard it is? Even being like, you know, being in Europe, when we travel to, you know, Holland, France, Spain, Italy, they just don't do salt and vinegar. They Is don't that right? Do Even salt in the vin- continental Europe, pr- they don't do it? Claude, I promise you, they don't do salt and vinegar. I have traipsed shop after shop after shop. See, um, you know, bonjourno, see all the different, like trying to get through to people. Do you have salt and vinegar? They don't. They, um, it must just be an English thing because, you know, we're huge on our fish and chips and fish yeah. and chips is is something where you put your salt and you put your vinegar on. So I think that's where that flavor came from. But I'm really glad you said that because uh, <laughs> I do struggle to get that when I'm in European countries. So when I'm in the U.S. next, I'll be looking out for my salt and vinegar. Chris. Oh, yeah. The best. The best. So. Um, so, you know, this is our first time chatting. Um, yeah. You know, we've, we've known each other uh, or about each other for years now. Um, yeah. Our dads are very good friends, and uh, and it's Father's Day this uh, Sunday. So it's nice, nice that we're doing this now. I know both our dads yeah. are, are happy about this. Bless them. Shout out, DC. Shout out, DC. <laughs> you know, he always needs a shout out. DC and CD. Uh, <laughs> DC so, and CD. And your your uncle your uncle clark peters was very mm-hmm. gracious to come on the podcast last season um mm-hmm. so you know i haven't talked to too many people outside of the us about the mm-hmm. pandemic uh, how, how, how mm-hmm. did that how did that go down in the uk well i mean, I mean the pandemic was, yeah the pandemic was a was a wild one for everyone i think there was um it was hard on the industry but we always i think yeah. there's always been confidence that it will bounce back you know, and you've seen, for instance, my uncle Clark, as you mentioned, you've seen he's continually been able to work, um, I think, throughout that time. But obviously, probably took a well-deserved break at the same time, you know, during that. Now, in England, it was um, it was quite, it was, it was quite, uh, how should I word, uh, chaotic is the word I'm going to use. It was quite yeah. chaotic. I think at the beginning, you know, where we where we've all watched so many films and we've seen, you know, everything shown to us of what could happen and so on and so forth. 
I feel that uh, everyone's hysteria caught on quite quickly. Um, so we ha we had a load of running themes over here. Like you couldn't get toilet roll, you know, you couldn't get toilet roll from the supermarket because it was all sold out. Um, there were certain household items that just you couldn't get because everyone was worried that they were going to have to be um, have to stay in. But um, I must say myself, I did I did enjoy uh, parts of the break. I think it allowed everybody to look inward, which is hugely positive, especially if they've had all this time time off because it was either look inward or Joe Biden, Donald Trump. It was one it was one or the other. So it was a lot nicer for people, I think, to look inward and do some real good soul searching. Right. And as you say, we um, always try to keep it positive. You know what I mean? Were the were the did you feel like Brits were better than the Americans when it came to things like uh, masking up? Um, I think that I don't think I mean there there was a lot being pushed, but um there wasn't an, a lot of force. So I'm not a, I'm not mm. aware as to you know the extremes of how it is in the US. But um you know myself, I'm somebody that I would always wear my mask if I'm going into a supermarket, if I'm getting on the underground, which is the tube, if I'm getting on a bus, if I'm going into social spaces where um, it could make somebody else feel uncomfortable without mm. me having a mask on, I will respect I will respect that because we yeah. have a, a national sort of duty to respect one another. But um, yeah. But I don't necessarily think everyone did, and I think there's... There's been so much that's gone on with it. And I just feel as though where I'm at with it now is everybody needs to do what's right for them and respect yeah. the, the respect, the, um, the respect others and not wanting to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've mm. been a, you've been a professional actor for quite a while. Uh, and you, you trained at the, uh, central school in London. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. So I trained at the, uh, the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. That's where I actually did my, my MA, which is my Master of Arts um, degree. So you, it's, it's a postgraduate. So you do your undergraduate first. Um, that's where I studied at the University of Salford up in Manchester. That's where the Manchester came Got from. Um, and then upon returning after my time there, it was, um, I think I was at a bit of a crossroads. You know, you do three years for a degree. And then you you hit the scene and you're fresh, 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 fresh talent, you know, fresh out of drama, drama school, fresh out of class. And you have a real hunger to succeed. But there's a there's a, a big eye opening, which we all have to have to go through. And I think at that time it was right. You're you're a uh, you're a big fish in a small pond currently. It's yeah. now time to it's now time to really test yourself up against, you know, some of the 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 better best looked at best viewed i don't know but obviously that institution is is highly respected and highly recommended so yeah i was fortunate enough to be able to to get into the royal uh, the royal central school of speech and drama um thanks to amanda brennan who was my coach at the time and um took so much so much from her but yeah that's where we are uh, that's where we did the one year's master course and then straight out of that i was into top boy within a right. couple of months right that's great. I want to talk about that. And I, I, you know, I just interviewed a buddy of mine who went to uh, RADA and uh, and I was asking nice. him this question uh, because, you know, a lot of the British training seems to be on the voice work and letting the words do the work. And, uh, you know, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm very curious about this. Was it was the scene study work? Was it Stanislavski based at all? Well, for um the the specific master uh, masters I did was uh, acting for screen, so we specifically okay. worked 
on screen uh, only. However, we, when you're in a rehearsal space, you're all actors, you're all rehearsing, so it's still the same. But the, the end product was that we would work on techniques for screen. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... So are you doing it's, it's things what, like uh, sense memory? Are you doing personal substitution we, work? The, the main one that I that I took from the main the main sort of um, coach uh, and and I should say sort of uh, training was Meisner. Oh yeah, um, we did a yeah we did a lot of Meisner stuff and with me sort of being being somebody who really enjoys being in the moment, you know, really be mm. enjoys listening to my to my fellow actor. Um, I'm not a huge fan of routine, um, and I think that's where w my fundamental training would have been theatre and musical theatre, which is consistent routine, routine, routine. Mm -hmm. But my ambition always lay in screen, where I would always see that you would be able to try something once, um, cut, let's go again, uh, and you inside yourself, if you're actively listening to your to your partner and yeah. actually paying attention to what they're saying no performances should ever be the same and i think that was a a real a real important sort of thing for me from meisner um to understand that so there was a lot of play which i which meisner brings into it you know a, a sort a lot of training where you look the other person in the face and you you highlight stuff about them like claude you're wearing glasses and then you'd say <laughs> something back to me no but you have a blue shirt blue and shirt. i say you have silver head exactly yeah. and i say silver headphones and and that type of stuff is you do it over and over and over and over you you're actively listening to someone and you're really paying attention to them yeah you know you're not just playing not just playing the lines now does that include when you when you're actively listening to someone you know does that does that also include listening to their body language not just what they're saying but what their body is telling you correct it's it's very difficult to be. I'd suggest to be fully always in the moment. You know, as a performer, we still have our in the back of our minds a little voice somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but but yes, to uh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I do apologize, Claude. But when you, you when you just... say when you say you're a little bit, you've got that little voice in your head. Could you tell tell mm -hmm. me like what is that? What's that voice to you? Is it is it your self editor up there? Is it um, mm. because that's a thing that I think a lot of actors think about is or they've got that voice. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a voice saying that's almost like wants to step outside of their body and say, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I'm performing right now or this is cool yeah. as opposed to only having thoughts as the character, I guess. Correct. And for instance, if I if if in, if the lines in the scene are are as simple as I love you. If I kick in the door and smash the door down and come in running saying, Hey, I love you. Yeah. Your automatic energy is going to be different to if I was on one knee saying to my partner, I love you. Right. So, so the active listening where the energy may always need to be up. If my automatic reaction on, on that evening or that performance is, is oh you haven't you haven't hit me with the same energy as you were supposed to, I'm not going to overact. I'm not right. going to, to 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 rise myself above and and over to to do that. I'm going to take in what you you've done and maybe just in that moment just have a oh, but then re-engage back into it because we wouldn't react that way normally. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of um, my style that I, I typically 
aim for and enjoy is, is a lot of trying to keep my characters as real as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a lot of the industry guys say Gene Hackman was was really good. Oh my god! At, yeah, at, at, at keeping his characters real, you know, and making you really sort of engage with him. So yeah, I think I I always aim for that aim, that air of reality. I think that the the thing that uh, I often think about is you know the only thing you really don't want is to be frozen. So this idea of like staying in the moment and whether you're putting the focus on listening to your partner or um, or you're you've put yourself into the circumstances of the scene and you're 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 having thoughts only as the character. The only time I think it gets that it could be bad is if you get you freeze up. And that's and that's where I feel most likely in those times people are too much in their head. Right. In that moment there. Yeah, because again, it, it it is a fine art. So even if you were to forget a cue, you know, again, one thing about screen is you can you can raise your hand and say, "Hey guys, I'm sorry." <laughs> you may be annoying seventy five fantastic crew members who have taken so much time to light the set and get you looking beautiful, and then you stumble on your line. But you have the opportunity to to go at it again, and that's what I, that is something that I, I say I like about screen and I love about it is because and Amanda Brennan my uh, my coach at Central used to say this about me all the time you always present something different to what typically the script suggests and hey I'll take that as I'm um, I'm unique and I do things differently but I it's because where I I'm adaptable so where something may be that my character should be acting in this way well, actually, hold on. If if in that take you've got that, I'm going to react to you that way. The the producers, the directors could be looking on the little screen and saying, "What? Well, we didn't expect that. That was something totally different, you know." Right. But that's what you that's what you're there to do, as an actor. You're there to on screen specifically. Anyway, you're you're there to to capture the essence of that character. But if that character is truly in the moment and truly listening. Um, out of what's around them physically, emotionally, mentally, through sound or whatever, every take will be slightly different, which means it's kept organic. Right. Yeah. I remember reading a book that John Lithgow wrote uh, called, <laughs> it was autobiographical, but the book was just called Drama. And I can hear him saying it like in his John Lithgow voice. Um <laughs> But I liked it. I thought it was a good read. And w- one of the things he talked about was, you know, he started his career in the theater. And then he I think he said he went out to L.A. to do a Terrence Malick film. And what he he started to realize when he was first doing film is that mm. something that, you know, you might consider you could consider like a mistake, you know, a prop drops or, you know, something like that, that in the film world, it's like that bec- that can become a gift. You know, you just and when you were talking about organic, it's like, mm. you know, or if you stumble over a line on film, sometimes it's, it's, it's that that you said, sorry to interject. It's no. that, that you said sometimes there can be stumbles over lines, because as I as, as I mean to suggest in that moment, the character may not be thinking of that because I'm I'm so engrossed into it. So, you know, yeah. there may be some and at times. I will su- I will say I will suggest is at times I am a um oh, <laughs> I am the the script uh, the the person that listens to the script's worst nightmare um because like as I say in different moments I feel different things we have 
different uh, noises, nuances, things that we do, things that we say, grunts, so on and so forth, how right. we react to things. Right. So, so some uh, I, I remember on, uh, <laughs> I can't remember, I think it was on I May Destroy You, and I just yeah. remember the lady. Yeah, I watched that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. And listen, well, well done to all the team. That, I mean, they won a, a, a BAFTA over here for best miniseries. Yeah. I just have to I say well done to Michaela and well done to Arucci. Phenomenal Park, series, Park. yeah absolutely amazing amazing cast but it was what was funny is i just remember the script lady coming over with her book you know and just saying okay just make sure you say that and and just make sure you say that make sure you get that on the end and i get it claude you know a um a script writer must be respected just as much as an actor just as much as the sound technician just right and if i was a script writer and i'd spent my time writing something the missing out of a small thing can sometimes change the whole dynamic of a sentence. Right. So um, at times, like I say, you have to stick to the guidelines, but we try and keep things, try and keep things organic and, and ultimately have fun. Yeah. Um, I well, think, I think the, there's the, the idea that, that when people are speaking in, in real life or, or ex- especially under duress, which is what a lot of scenes are that we're playing, the characters are going through something extraordinary. The idea that we're getting every word out crystal clear is, uh, you know, it, it's impossible. It's we impossible. typically don't do it in everyday life. I'm yeah. probably not doing it on the podcast right now. So, so, yeah. so how, would, how, would a, how would a character be so? And again, that's where you can perform over and over and over again but second it's in the editor's hands well there's only one they're going to choose yeah so where you may have recorded 30 you're only going to get that one so that's what's also nice is giving them a variety so that they have an option and this is what i feel personally my choice to look back and say yeah actually that that moment's nice there he did that nice there and they can create something that's an interesting idea because I've talked to uh, another English actor that I worked with on a, a series for uh, Blumhouse um, was a an actor, uh, Jonathan Fletcher, who mm-hmm. um, he said that every take he would do some he would just give the editor something completely different. So and he just his philosophy was just that he was going to let the editor pick which performance, which version Correct. of the character was. I never thought about that. I mean, for me personally, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm usually trying, I have an idea of what I'm going for and I'm Mm -hmm. usually trying to get as close to that, what I have in my head as I can. So every Mm -hmm. take I'm Mm -hmm. trying to refine, this guy is doing uh, something different. Yeah. Pulling it out the, pulling it out the bag each time. I mean, look at the same time when, when we do, well, when we do screen performances, typically it's probably the same in LA. I'm sure it's not that far off. You could get, you get the script and then your first time meeting your, your your number two, your first time meeting your director and everyone is on the day. That's right. Is on the day you're walking onto set. So you've had to be at home, create your your decisions, you know, create everything, and then you get onto set and the director may not like it. So that's where I, I always go back to. And, and this is the fun that I feel needs to be back into acting is that try and try and try and as you say give them you know the uh, the differences but uh but remain remain your character you know remain, remain who you are remain what you're producing but have some fun with it but don't go too far okay? <laughs> don't go too far everything every everything within reason you know everything within reason 
Great. Well, so you know, you're you, we talked about this already. Your 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 whole family has uh, it feels like almost you know many members of the family have been in the business. Your dad, your uncles. Um, so uh, you must have known from a pretty early age. I'm assuming that this is something you wanted to do. <laughs> you know what? It, it it definitely was. I knew that I was I was geared up to do something creative. Um, yeah where my where my father's a musician and my mother worked in the music industry for about 30 35 years and i was told as a kid i was kissed on the head by janet jackson i always knew oh. you know i have to be something I'm joking enough, but i always knew i always knew that there was there was something you know that i was going to um aspire to be yeah because as a child if you hear those sorts of names and you hear you know you, you see your uncle as an actor on television and you yeah. you hear that your mother you've been around Janet Jackson and these sorts of performers you think yeah that's something that I want to achieve so where my father as you say is the musician um my uncle is the is the phenomenal actor and growing up watching his shows in the west end as as a yeah. kid you know seeing him when opening up you know chicago in the west end in london that was just Amazing. that was unreal as a kid then witches of eastwick porgy and bess all of these shows they were yeah. just they were and also my first memories five guys named mo right that was a great what one your uncle wrote. Then, yeah correct yeah which i always say there's one character in there that's named after me because obviously my first name's noah and then the middle name's maxwell that's and like, i always yeah. say no no Max, the character, is a little little thing there for me. But I think it was it was written before I was born. So and did your dad? Did your dad? I think your dad performed in the show. Am I right? Did he jump in? Yeah, he did, and I screamed from the uh, from one of the boxes at the side. I was like, "Daddy, Amazing. Daddy!" It was hilarious. I mean, my mom was trying to keep me seated, but <laughs> you know, you know what you're like when you're a kid. And sure. I'm sure, and I'm sure, and I'm sure he said to me, I'm sure he said to me, when you see me, shout out as loud as you can. So <laughs> I, 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 def, I, def, I definitely did that for him. But, yeah. but again, it's not, it's, it's not just myself, you know, I've, I've got a wonderful, um, wonderful family, um, especially on, on both sides, but my, my Clark side, you know, we're, we're all creatives. I look at my, my older cousin, um, who I look at as my older brother, he, he was on television and still is acting himself. You know, that's Clark Peters, um, right. second son. And, right. and then my, my, my younger cousin, um, Max, I mean, Maxie Mills, he's, he's a musician at the moment. He's out, he's been out, he's out in LA. He's all over social media. He's got an incredible voice and an incredible work rate, um, and work ethic for, for achieving it. And the one thing that we have combined is that we're born creatives. You know, we were, we were raised around it. And it's 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 all we know as a family. You know, we we all want to achieve that creative success. You know, uh, so I, I I grew up part of my life in in London. I, I yeah. wonder if you did any of I these remember, things yeah. growing up. Like you know, I, I I used to. I mean, things I used to love to do is like catch a midnight movie at Piccadilly, or uh, yeah, or you Prince know, of Charles, I think it's Prince yeah. of Charles Cinema in, That's in, right. in Leicester Square. That's right, that Leicester I mean, Square. Yeah, that's where I think I yeah. saw Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time when I was a kid. And um, I used to go get yeah, a shisha you, and a shawarma on Edgware Road. Yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so those, so where I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Londoner through and through. So, what yeah. I mean that in, in in the term that I was born and raised within literally Zone One and Zone Two. Right. So I'm about three miles from the West End. You know what I mean? Three and a half miles from the West End, and. I think that adds to to the to the, to the dream for people because there is so much magic 
in the West End. You know, there's so many cool places and cool things that you can do. So when you when anyone ever talks to me, I feel like it, I, I automatically feel like I'm home because I've been in those theatres. I've been in the back entrances in those theatres up the <laughs> stairs, you know. I've been I've been in those cinemas. I've been in those lovely small places, and it's, it's the Prince of Prince of Charles Theatre, or Prince of Prince of Wales Prince of Charles uh, Cinema, I think it's called. They do awesome filmathons. You know, yeah. you can go there and you you can sit there and it'll be it'll be Terminator One, Terminator Two, Judgment right. Day, back right. to back to back. I mean, come on, what's better than that? You know, what I think I, mean? I saw Terminator the movie. Uh, I think I saw the movie Pie there when it first came out, which was the. Oh, I tell you a good Darren, film. I Darren Aronofsky that. movie, yeah. I was, was blown away by in that. My, in my skin, in my skin, was that the film with um, uh, not Del Toro with uh, Antonio Banderas? Uh, Under my skin or beneath my skin, I saw that there, and that was a real freaky. <laughs> that was a twisted film. That was, I must say. Yeah, you could find things that were. I mean, the other thing, and I've talked to this, uh, talked about this with some folks, is that when you're living in the UK, um, they would play adult you know content movies movies mm. i'm not talking about pornography although at 11 30 at 11 30 uh, yeah. <laughs> when i was a kid it was channel five after nine o'clock you yeah, might be lucky right. you that's might you right. might be lucky you might be lucky men and motors and all that shit uh, yeah, you know what i mean <laughs> topless darts i think was a regular <laughs> show. Um, but during the day uh they would have uh, they would I, like that's how I saw Reservoir Dogs for the first time. I was watching. It was like two p.m. I watched on like maybe in ITV. The it was. I swear to God, I it was a uh, ITV or uh, you know uh, Channel Four. It would be on middle of the afternoon. No commercials. No commercials <laughs> and not no, edited. Saying, if it's no commercials, it's BBC One or BBC Two. If it's is no that right? All right. Okay. So there yeah, you go. So we pay. Um, we pay our. We pay our TV licensing in the UK. So that um, the BBC and uh, BBC One and BBC Two, they don't have to have any ad breaks. That's now, the national channel. Now you've worked with the BBC quite a bit and um, on a yeah, number of different have. programs. And um, you yeah. know, one of the, one of the things I was wondering about is a little bit about the 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 hustle in the UK as a in the acting mm-hmm. business uh, when compared to the to a place like LA. I would imagine that that casting director pool is small. Mm-hmm. Am I right? You'd you'd be surprised. Um, you'd be surprised because I believe that there's I, th- I feel that we're there's like a new a new generation a new wave of people who want to be actors um, I'm but not I guess any- but what I'm talking about mm-hmm. though is mm-hmm. the casting directors themselves how many mm-hmm. of them are I- there you know because here so for example in, in LA mm-hmm. there might be man oh there could be maybe 300 there could be maybe mm-hmm. 400 casting directors yeah. what I'm wondering is is there one person at the BBC that you really need to please or <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, look, there's there, there's there's a couple there's there's a couple of people that you need to please, and the thing is, I mean, there are a lot of different casting agents, and the way that it sort of talk casting directors, the way that it sort of works is that you know you've got the advertising realm, uh, you've got the television realm, you've got the theatre world, um, you have you know the old the, the famous names of the theatre world who will still to this day be being recognised, and then you'll have the new the new age casting directors and then you'll have the more advertising ones like Mark Summers. I used to do a lot of work with Mark Summers, shout out Mark. Um, used to do a lot of work with him and he actually, I actually did a job with him once where I was lucky enough to meet Carrie Fisher, which was... I heard about, this oh, was something that my, your your dad told me to ask you about this. Can you talk about your, uh, tell me about this Carrie Fisher story. Yeah, man, this is a funny one to be fair. So 
we uh, I was working for Mark Summers at the time and he uh, he came up to me he said no listen I've got a fantastic opportunity for you um, you'll just be reading in for the day are you free I was like of course I'm free um, I'd be working with uh, a fantastic director called Joe Picker who I think Joe Picker's won like six Super Bowl ads you know the halftime ads like he's oh, a wow. serious legend yeah he's a serious 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 legend in the game and I remember him just Mark just saying to me, "Would you be up for it?" I said, "Of course I will." You know, um, and it was an now. What, is, for... what does that mean? Reading in. So in this in this specific instance, the scene was um, Carrie Fisher was sat in the middle of a room doing a therapy session with robots all around her. So we were reading in as the robots, Got just it. so we weren't we weren't filmed, we weren't seen, we were just reading in. Um, so that so you, were, you were things. you were being recorded though. So that so that's sort of what that means, right? It's voice. We we would yeah. just refer to it as voiceover, right? But even still, the voiceover didn't get used. We were literally only used so that she would have points of contact. Got it. To look at and 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 discuss with. So we were just doing the scene with her. But where our cat, yeah, you could suggest that where our characters were robots, it was mainly just the voices that were that were being used. Got it. But it was great. I mean, it was such an awesome experience. And I just remember seeing Carrie Fisher, you know, somebody who myself, I have the Star Wars VHS, you know, yeah. I've got the box set of, of the first three and yeah. as a kid watching them and then to be in that in that room with her for two days and not really have the confidence to talk to her about anything else other than just reading the script and as she was leaving on the final day and we'd wrapped and she was she was walking out i just i just had this overwhelming feeling like i've 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 got to i've got to go and 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 just get a photo with her yeah. um the main one of the main things is my friend Maya Jane Coles her manager um Stephen Brains he he was a huge star wars fan so me and him i was just like look i need to i need to get a photo and she was so lovely she was just like what's your name i was like no maxwell clark she was like you were great today nice working with you i was like you're a legend like i can't believe this has happened because there are there are certain certain there's levels and somebody like carrie rest in peace I mean, oh there's, yeah there's levels to to what they did for us right and pe- people 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 like to do things for the stardom, as I said before. I I enjoy doing things to be a part of something, and yeah, just to have been a part for Carrie Fisher to have been a part of Star Wars, she changed so many lives for people. Right? Yeah, she know, did. Cult, cult, cults, people that believe, people that live it, they breathe it. You know the amount of messages I started getting after I May Destroy You because of all the subjects that that show touched on. Right. And um. You know, and people are asking me like, "Thank you for for your depiction of the character. Thank you for doing what you did. Thank you for keeping it real." Um, you know, there's that to me is is more rewarding as a performer um, to know that that had a good impact on other people and maybe changed society. Should I say for the yeah. better? Because that's so. So that show deals with it does touch on uh, one of the major themes mm-hmm. of sexual assault, correct? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know your what was interesting about your character was that it was uh, it seemed to be I was trying to figure out because they they did a little for you know uh, it was one of the main characters he has this mm-hmm. very quick flashback <clears throat> of being mm-hmm. kept in a room is that right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so, Papa. Yeah, his. So for your character, it was this similar thing of uh, Michaela Cole's character coming by at a party. She turns this key in the door and locks the mm-hmm. two of you in the room together. And, and locks this, them in. Yeah. And then this then triggers his character. So I was trying Correct. to figure. I was trying to follow along because it was it was subtle. It was quick and subtle, mm. and the performances were so excellent. And. Um, mm. But uh, but yeah, and you were great. This, I thought you were so great on it. <laughs> Thank you. It's a funny one because again, it's something I touched on earlier um, when we were talking. It's about when you do screen, you make so many choices and decisions before you get on set. You know about your character, and then you meet everyone, and you're like, hey. And so in with this character, when I first got the script, I read it, and I was like, okay, from what I take from it, he he gets locked in the room, and he's he's not really sort of happy to be there you know he's a bit like oh but then he's also like oh i can see what's happened here right right, right. um but again i'd i'd worked i'd worked with them both on top boy which was which was fantastic you know i'd i'd um i worked with yeah they were both in top boy where ruchi was actually in the summer house gang and we were we spent a lot of time on set together so we actually got had had a really nice relationship and she's yeah. a fantastic actress and she's also doubly a fantastic human being she's great but Michaela as well, you know, just just as much. And the combination of those two together is beautiful for, for I'm going to say, for, for black British acti- acting, but not just that, for acting in general. Yeah. You know, like I say, we we go past, we go, I go past the colour, we go straight for, for what they're bringing to the, uh, to the, to the screen. And the, the, the script that Michaela wrote, I mean, her uh-huh. first, uh, her first, her first big one was called Chewing Gum. And that, right. and that alone was awesome you know was awesome and she she's got that she's got that character inside her i'm not gonna lie she has those characters inside herself because she's like that she's she's great she's funny man but uh, but also working with papa that was a nice one was to be able to meet papa and and then watching him in something called gangs of london like after we'd worked together and being like damn hmm. you know what i mean like you play you're playing a, a gangster's son in that one Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So to and that's what's nice is not always knowing but finding out and, and enjoying the work that we do and getting to know people. Now you had you also had a great run doing uh, I think twelve episodes of the landmark British television series EastEnders. And, yeah. Uh, and you got some nice buzz off that. And th- th- you played the role of Oz Bolat. Yeah, Osman Bolat. Uh, shout out! I think it was Roland Roland Beckley, and uh, that's just to answer what you were saying before about. Uh, keeping the casting directors nice. Roland Beckley has, has been a massive, massive, massive. Uh, I, I probably see help and also working, working away in the background for me. You know, he. I think he was part of the the team that cast me for Holby City. Um, I had a I had a one episode in that, and then also then cast me as this character in EastEnders. And again, what was funny is at the time, as I've said before, I, I I'm a salesman. You know, that's my that's my trade. That's my yeah. skill by day. And um, the character, when he came to me, was this guy's a telly salesman. I was like, I mean, if this thing wasn't meant to be, it wasn't meant to be. And, <laughs> and you know, to, to, to be, again, somebody who, as a child, the nation watched EastEnders. You know, in my, That's in right. my, in my, in my, element, in my elementary years, as, you, as you'd say in the States, you know, we would be watching that on television every evening. Now, soap operas are soap operas. They're not the dramas that we, as you know, we aspire to necessarily, you know, most actors may necessarily want to aspire to be in. And, but for me, I was like the history, the heritage to be a part of something so great, like amazing. 
So when I got the opportunity to be part of EastEnders, it was a good run. And funnily enough, actually, this is my, this is this is actually another funny one. Um, I have an older cousin. His name's Nick. Uh, Nick and shout out Nick. And I remember on the first day I was filming EastEnders. He's also an actor. He also studied at Central School of Speech and Drama. Nick Corsa, his name is. Um, I remember just seeing his name on one of the cabins, and I was like. Knock, knock, knock. He opened up. He was like, what are you doing here? I was oh like, God. what are you doing? I was like, what are you doing? He said, oh, I've got an episode. I'm filming over here oh today. God. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm filming over. I said, what? Why didn't you tell me? Do you know what I mean? I said, why didn't you tell me? We're both actors. Why didn't you tell me? But, fantastic. But no, but it was it was lovely. And, and again, little moments like that, Claude, are the little things that make me know that what I'm doing, I'm on the right track. Okay, I met coming back to uh, Warucci and Michaela, going to EastEnders, seeing my cousin there, being in a show called Spotless, um, which was filmed by Canal Plus, and mm. shout out Hugh, Hugh Warren, his name is. He cast me in Spotless, and he cast me in uh, Hard Son as well. God, what a lovely man, Hugh. Hard Son. Now, uh, I saw your, I did mm. see your episode of Hard Son, and that was a, yeah. that was a great scene. That was a brutal scene. It was a really, really, really good scene, and it was a it was a pleasure to work alongside Brendan Coyle. I mean, such a such a fantastic actor. He was known for being in Downton Abbey, I think it was, um, and then he embarked on this show. But again, I have a fantastic friend of mine. He's an actor, and when I say fantastic, he's one of my closest friends. His name's Sam Mackay. I happen he happened to be in Spotless as well. You know, it's uh he he called me, he's like, Oh, I'm filming the show at the moment. And I was like, What are you talking about? You're filming the show. What's it called? He said Spotless. I was like, What? I said, I I auditioned for that months ago. He was like, Oh, well, I got the part. I said, Listen, run over to casting, put a word in now, get me that job. And literally, lo and behold, next day they were calling me up, they said, Yeah, we'd like to offer you the part. So again, these little moments where you come across your own people. Yeah. That, that overall is that little voice in the back of your head that you always you try and close off but that's you you know what I mean so you, <laughs> you, you, you you turn up at these things and oh I remember that person I remember that person it's nice but but when it comes to crunch time I think some of the my favourite parts are sometimes just sitting in my trailer for like an hour um, in my thoughts really getting into my character how would my character be thinking yeah what would I be thinking about this room you know this room smells you know things things like that you know they're the, they're the peaceful times and then it's just obviously nice to make it up when when you know people as well you know it's an incestuous industry that we do have isn't it well it does have that feeling of family and i think that you know mm. sometimes family fights sometimes but you know I, but i do think that you know there is a there's a a bigger a larger mutual respect that uh, mm. you know, uh, hopefully, most of the time uh, mm. that we have for mm. each other. And um, so, I did want to ask you about this. This was a uh, you you had a scene in Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious. Film. Yeah. <laughs> so talk yes, about that because did. this was. I'm I'm oh, curious man. about the scene. I know a little bit about what the happened. Scene that didn't make it. Yeah. The scene that didn't. Now make this it. happens listen, to actors. All this has happened to me too. So tell. So what? It, so it what happened. was it? happens to the best of us so we were i mean i'm sure i'm allowed to talk about it but we were we were out in shoreditch uh in east london and this was the most this was the most unbelievable setup i've ever you know what i mean like where where again england is a small pond in comparison to america anyway 
to see what what the the budget that the level of production or, or good, wow so um so yeah we were we were i was called in and it was it was myself and uh, i think his name's uh, pete basham shout out pete basham um awesome guy we really we really got on he was a really nice guy and we were we were playing two agents now i know in the film um there's jason statham there's dwayne johnson and then there's the 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 girl idris elba but then there's the girl who's made the run and she's disappeared or whatever so our job as the agents were we were just stood outside her flat you know monitoring monitoring if she was coming and going and what was quite nice is that in the context of the film you would have had the big sort of bangs boom 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 and then you would have had this small sort of scene where you had these two agents just saying like oh fancy getting a kebab later no 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 i'm not i'm not up for that mate no it's bad for you you know what i mean and and you've got this um so so right. we filmed and it, and you know, to, I met Jay, uh, to see Jason Satham, should I say, to have been next to him, um, to have seen a, you know the, the the McLaren and everything we did. It was just, I I wasn't bothered if I if the scene didn't get shown. Yeah, of course I would have been bothered. But as I say to you, there's a happiness in this acting, and it's wanting to maintain that happiness because I do know that a lot of actors they they were told to look inside. But then we beat ourselves up after. Yeah, time. we do. We like, do. We, 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 like I'm one of those that I'm one of the few that enjoys watching my my work back. I enjoy right. watching my scenes back each time. Because yeah, I'm the same. Say, I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Some, but some people aren't. They're like, I oh, I hate it. They, and again, that's where finding that fun is. So that's why I can give you something different each time because I'm not necessarily pent up and set mm. on giving you the perfect performance exactly how you imagined it. Mm. I'm giving you something for you to consider, yeah. which makes it more, rea- which, which which provides more reality. But, oh, it was so amazing. And then obviously doing Hobbs and Shaw, I mean, just to, just to see the budgets of everything and see how those huge movies operate was a blessing. And like I say, if you, if you go away and your scene wasn't there, regardless... You know what I mean? You know you were a part of it. I think my name popped up in the credit as well. So I'll take that. You know, I'll take it on the chin. I'll take it on the chin. I was the same way, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was. I remember going to see the movie that, that I was cut out of and I didn't know I was cut out of it and then I saw Which it. Which one I, was your one? It's a movie called um, The Ugly Truth. It was a movie with oh. um, uh, Gerard Butler and uh, my scene was with him nice. in the bar. And, you know, the humor of the scene was... Uh, was... Uh, I mean, I don't think it's very in in hindsight. I don't think it's a very funny scene, but I think that you know, mm. I think they what they ended up. It was just a quick thing. What they ended up doing is they took I t- I did a bunch of different takes of it, mm-hmm. and what they ended up doing was they put it on the I guess the DVD extras or whatever. So they did oh, like they the just, extended version. They they yeah, did yeah. a little segment just for me on the on the DVD, mm. and it was just all my That's takes nice doing, doing my life. So <laughs> that was kind of fun. <laughs> No, but like I say, it, it, it's the experience. It's the opportunity. It's, oh, it's, you know, being on that set was that was one, mm. and I've, I haven't done too many big films. I've done, uh, uh, I've been lucky to do a few, but that one was they had this was a, a packed bar, so the whole place was yeah. that was exciting. Walking in there and uh, seeing what they had done to this bar, and they filled it up with people, and like it, it was, and, uh, and you see it all, and you're like, and there's Gerard Butler and his you're arm. Like, but, his arm yeah, is like a Christmas like, ham. Like it's so fucking big. And I, <laughs> you know. But you're like, this, you're like, this is for me. Yeah. All of all of this, you know, you seventy five to a hundred people. You know, you're all here to capture this this moment, and that's again, that's what I I also like about about screen is that 
there are so many professionals. Not to say that there aren't that the, the same amount in, in theatre. No way. I would never say that. But I mean, there are so many people on deck, on set. It could be from the props team that are sorting out, you know, the, the black cab that we were using to, to the catering team who are always helping to keep you happy, to the runners, yeah. to yeah. the first AD, to the second AD, to the gaffer who's doing the lights. Just got all these people just around you and you're like, wow, this is for me. I'm gonna give you. I'm, I'm gonna give you something, but I'm gonna give you something. You Absolutely. know what I mean? And it, yeah. Seeing that really, it it makes you want. It makes you want more. But at the same time, yeah. I am also somebody who, I I find happiness working on scripts that I believe in. Yeah. So, again, it could be something massive and something which maybe doesn't do much, but. A, a student film may come up to me and say, hey, listen, we think you'd be great for this. And I'll read it and I'll get an idea of what it is and I'll be more than happy to. Because again, if I have something which which you, which you need or want, well, isn't that why we kind of got into acting in the first place? You know, to be able to provide our audience with something that they can go home with. Because that's sure as hell why I enjoyed watching films. So I could be like, I could dream afterwards. You know what I mean? Think- it could... Do you think at all about like a kind of a dream role that you still haven't, that you're waiting to play something you're excited to do at some point? I've got one dream role and it's some, it's one that I've wanted. I'm dreaming for it and I'm dreaming for it. It's a, uh, I'd love to be a bond villain. Holy shit. Holy shit. I've always wanted to be a bond villain. Never wanted to be James Bond. Uh, Cause the film's not about James Bond. The film's about the villain. Yeah, the film's about the film's about the villain and and what they're doing, and James is trying to stop them. Yeah. So I've always had a story in my you know a, a story in my head where suddenly that London turns on James Bond and England's Ooh. turned on. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, like I was that. like, and yeah. I want to I want to be that guy that runs <laughs> that rebellion, and you've got to come after me in my big old bad city, but. You know, we can dream. We dream big, and you never know. But that would be the ideal role for me in a film. But in a TV show, I mean, have you guys? Uh, you guys get Luther, right? Luther, the you know, I show? I gotta say, I have not. I feel bad about this. I need to watch Luther. Uh, it's 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 supposed it, to be fantastic, and I love him. I've seen him in almost mm. everything he's done. I think you know. Um, it was but, it was revolutionary. Yeah, when it, when it came out. He's a cerebral guy. He's smarter than everybody in the room. That kind of a dude. But he's yeah. raw. But he's raw. He, he'll always do what's right, regardless of himself or his own. You know that guy that would just always do what's right? Just, yeah. He has like a, a disposition where he, he might do something wrong, but it's it's towards the overall right. You know, yeah. He's a bit rugged. Um, he's a bit rugged. But I mean, yeah, Luther, Luther, Luther... Uh, 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 not a bent, not 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 a crooked cop, but yeah, a crooked bad cop. I'd like to do a crooked bad cop because so, I, mean, I typically, that sounds fun. I typically, yeah, yeah I, typ- I typically get the gangsters. I typically get the the cockney. Oh, I might as it going, you know. I typically get those characters. It would be nice to to possibly be a character of the law, you know. Yeah, when, yeah. Um, like like my uncle was when he was Lester Freeman in the Wire, you know, being a part of something where it's a big something like that. Well, he was he was he was, he was he was natural natural police. 
Yeah, not not you police. police. He, not that, you that, police. <laughs> Lester Freeman wasn't crooked. Well, he I can't remember his character got relegated, but it was because he was doing the right thing, as I recall. Right? There you go. Yeah. yeah. So he he was he was clued up. He was his heart and everything was in the right place. You know. Yeah. And again, I think it's just to be to be on the law on that side is a side that side of the table I'd like to sit on in one of my characters in the future. Now, you are a dual citizen in America. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a highly coveted thing to folks, uh, actors living outside mm-hmm. of the U.S. So do you ever plan to take advantage of that? Are you going to come out to Cali at some point? I was meant to come out to Cali earlier on this year. But, uh, but I was stuff meant to happened? come out to Cali. Well, this a pandemic is what happened. Happened? I, was, I, was, I was meant to come out to Cali towards the end of January. Um, oh, all right. Okay. And, and then all the restrictions changed. Mm. Um, I think after the Biden administration got in, so that meant that to get into America, you would have had to have gone to Mexico for like two weeks, you know, oh, hang out right. down there in like Tulum or something, and then from Tulum fly into to California. Um, my my little cousin did so he he actually went and he went to Tulum for two weeks and then uh, was in California shooting a number of music videos, um, which was which was awesome. But yeah, that was when I was meant to come. But funnily enough, I've only been to the states twice. I've only been on the East Coast. I've only been to New York. Um, my first trip was way back when I was about fourteen, I think, and I got caught in a a real Manhattan winter snowstorm i'm talking oh yeah we haven't seen we haven't seen snow like it in england we don't get snow yeah like no you don't not really nah and then I, and then i was out there for the uh the tribeca film festival i think that was oh you had a film what? there right you had oh, a film yeah, there yeah 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 we had we had a film there i think uh well, that would have been 06 to 09 11 12 probably 12 probably 13 i want to say 13 14 uh we yeah. went there and it was um the 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 director is a fantastic guy of my a friend of mine. He's called Keir uh, Burrows. Shout out Keir Burrows, um, awesome guy. He um he was he actually got that film was actually a student project. So where the master's degree that I did, uh, we would come away with a short film at the end of that um, at the end of that uh, year, should I say? So the short film was Grace, and um, Grace was a ba- was basically about a world just before like a nuclear strike had happened, you know? Mm. And what do you really go through? Like you might be having meaningless, meaningless arguments about stuff, but there's, there's stuff that's about to happen. So it got accepted into the Tribeca Film Festival and I would never have missed out the opportunity to go out there that's and fine. To, yeah. to, to, exp- to experience it. So we, I didn't, didn't get to meet Robert De Niro. Sadly, didn't get to meet him. But um, but was that an event where he walked in and I was like, oh my God, there's Robert De Niro. Yeah. But um, again, just understanding the buzz and the hustle and bustle a bit more of New York and and seeing what that's like. Just, man, you guys, Americans know how to do things right, is what I'm going to say. You do the glitz and glamour right, you know. Oh, the glitz and amazing. the glamour? Well, yeah, London's even, got even, to, even, London's got pomp and circumstance. We've got glitz and glamour. Maybe, maybe that's the thing. yeah. Pomp and circumstance, glitz and glamour. Just, just what I mean to say, just to where I'm suggesting an event like Tribeca makes actors feel special. You know, we have one in London, in the UK. I think it's uh, massively in the UK. Rain Dance Festival, and I've also had another film that was in that. Um, that's called Antimatter. Um, but again. They, they they do make you feel special they're nice and 
like the Cannes Film Festival, you know. Yeah. All yeah. of this stuff. Th- these these are all the things that I that I, I I respect, you know. And I'll travel over the world for a film festival if they're if they're willing to take the time out to watch my work, you know, and the work that I've been in. It would only be right to be able to share that experience with others. So yeah, it was great to be in New York and experience all that, man. So and finally, I want to ask you. So where can people find you online? So at NMC the actor, that's the that's my Instagram page. Uh, that's typically going to be where all my uh, acting stuff gets updated. So recently there was like a KFC commercial and there's been some gamble awareness ads that have been going on. Um, and I'm, I'm not the, I'm a bit caveman. I'm not like, you know, the most active on social media. Cause again, it's not the, it's not the status that I, that I'm, I'm after. Cause, because it's not, respect. it's not real life. It's just not us, mate. So I mean, it's just not us. Like I, I was, I was born in the, I was born in the 88, you know, in the nineties, yeah, yeah, I would have yeah. to, I'd have to call my friend on a house phone. And say hello, mate. I'm gonna be. I'm, I'm gonna walk round to your house in half an hour. Please don't leave without me. And I'd walk over there, and the boys had gone. And then I have to walk up to the park. We had no mobile phones. I remember. We had advent. We had adventure. And that's yeah, where I say yeah. where we had where we had adventure. I I like bringing that into my acting because then we have fun. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people, where it's Instagram and all the social media, they take that and then they go straight onto acting, thinking that it's the same thing, and. I say to people, look, you can be an actor at any stage you want to be. Yeah, you can be because to be an actor, you just have to have life experiences and That's know right. how to re to re engage with those experiences in the right ways. Yeah. So not necessarily take me back to that moment where I was feeling so much pain. But if I've never gone through a breakup, how am I supposed to break up in reality on screen? I've never experienced it in life. If I've never eat, eaten a pizza, how are you going to shove a pizza in my face and I'm just going to love it? Like a, you know what I mean? It's there's there's yeah there's 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 a reality and we always try and keep with that. So yeah, reality, reality, reality. But yeah, also Chasey Jones. So you can check me out at Chasey Jones Music. Wink, wink. Uh, and you can check out some of that stuff, um, voiceover stuff to come. But typically, yeah, at NMC the actor on Instagram and at Chasey Jones Music, um, and on YouTube. If anyone ever wants to hear any of the music, just search Chasey Jones. It's C H A, and then it's the dollar sign E Y, and then it's Jones J O N, and then it's the pound sign for an E and then an S. So show paying homage to both my sides there, my American and my English side. Well, no, this has been great, man. Thanks, no, it's, it's been a it's been a long time coming, man. I know, uh, like I know, I know, like like your like your your family, um, your family are good. Fan- I can't even say good peoples. Your family are fantastic peoples. Your family, I CD. I I I've got so much time for that man. And, um, <laughs> he, him 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 and DC, they are really good <laughs> together, man. They like you know to have to be able to have that sort of American camaraderie in the UK. And yeah, understand each other, you know, understand the, the blues bars that they went to as, as teenagers, understanding right. that life and, and, and all the, all the crap and the shit that we went through back then for them to sort of be able to have each other. I always respect your uh, CD highly for that man, just because he's a, he's a top, top, top geezer. He's, he's a, yeah, he's a real one for sure. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward one. to when you and I get to hang out in person. Hundred um, percent. Come on out to California, man. We got a, we got a place for you, man. Man, I come out there, and I I don't think I come back. I think that's <laughs> I think that's the reason. My my little cousin even said that to me. He said, "Once you go to Cali, he said you won't come back." But it's, it's I have nice. made a prom- I have I have made a promise to myself. 
that at some stage in my life I will exercise my US passport to its full capacity and I will try and be over over there for a, a minimum of five years, five to ten years, just to really, really understand that part of my family. You know, you're yeah. you're all the way over there. It's only the sea, but you know, that there there's there's history there which I want to explore. That's right. So yeah, and it's and it's who you are at the end of the day. You know, your your father's before you, your mother's before you. It's who you are. So, yeah, I'll definitely exercise that right at some point. But I am a very proud, proud British English English man, English actor, and and like I say, if America comes calling and they want an English actor, they can get me. I'll tell you that now. They can have me. <laughs> well, I'm gonna say real quick. I'm gonna say Happy Father's Day to DC. To Dave Happy Clark Father's Day to CD and and Chris Deering from Noah Clark and Claude Deering and uh, Noah, I wish you continued success, safety, good health. Thanks for doing this, man. You too, brother. You too, brother. Anytime, anytime, anytime. Dum, 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 to everyone out there, if you listened all the way to the end of this episode, if you listened all the way to the end of this season, if you've listened to every episode we've done, <laughs> I want to say thank you so much for joining the conversation. This series was born out of a desire to connect with talented friends during a hugely bizarre moment in our history that has profoundly affected the United States and every other country around the world. Working on this series continues to be a salve for my own mental health. I hope it brought you some joy. I hope it continues to provide a respite from the noise and the worry. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editor is Sierra Hauser. I'd like to thank my wife, Catherine. I'd like to say another thanks to Chris Frontiero and Winston Carter, and also to Erica Curry. Thank you to Matthew Carlin for designing our website, Nick DeGatano and Sela Shaloni for photography, and to Ryan Harvey Percy for handling our Twitter account. Thanks to Andrew Fairbank for shooting our video teaser and to Robert Grigsby Wilson for editing. Thanks to Icelandic Glacial for their hugely helpful support. A special thank you also to our Patreon and our Anchor subscribers. We can't do this program without you. Thanks to Chris and Jane Deering, and thanks to my guests this season. I'd also like to give a quick tribute to congratulate actor Mark Harmon on finishing his final season of NCIS after a historic 18 seasons, leading the biggest drama on television. I was lucky to recur three times on that series. Mark Harmon personally called me after my first appearance on the show to tell me I'd done a good job. <laughs> and man, it meant the world to me. He's a class act and an example of a star who everybody wants to work for, kind and generous with his time. Congratulations to Mr. Harmon on a wonderful legacy. Thanks for setting a good example for us all. And for you truly thorough listeners, I still haven't watched Point Break, but never say never. Via Condias. Stay tuned.